Welcome back to the Bama Online Podcast. This one on Monday night, September the 6th, 2021. BOL Senior Analyst Travis Ryer alongside BOL Senior Team Reporter Charlie Potter. Charlie, fresh from the ATL, where the Alabama Crimson Tide football team, of course, took care of the Miami Hurricanes on Saturday afternoon over the weekend. 44-13, the Tide gets it done over an ACC opponent. And as we record, Charlie, it uh, looks like another mismatch taking place in Atlanta on this Labor Day night. Ole Miss, Thunder Funking, the Louisville Cardinals. Are you watching any of this, Charlie, or are you about footballed out at this point? Uh, I played the latter. Uh, I had it on <laughs> my. Uh, I wasn't really paying much attention to it. And then. The wife turned on uh, a September 11th uh, documentary of some kind. She's all about those. Oh, uh, yeah. So uh, I, I saw the, the last time I looked, it was, I guess, 16 nothing. Um, so I don't know if it's changed from that. But no Lane Kiffin, no problem, I guess. There is like been – it's not even halftime yet, and there's probably been five or six targeting calls. Oh, yeah. I, I think or at least it that. feels like it. Yeah. Yeah, Louisville's had a couple of three – as I watch this right now, there's like six minutes left in the second quarter. Now an Ole Miss player uh, is being checked out. This would be two for Ole Miss. So uh, I think it, you know, we're getting to the point where we're going to start wondering, and he's gone here, the Ole Miss player. So uh, targeting, instead of Chick-fil-A, you should have Target, you know, sponsor this game hey. because uh, – I know, right? Here all week. The dad jokes, they just never stop. But <laughs> we want to talk some Alabama football with Charlie Potter. And of course, Alabama comes out of that a big win over Miami on Saturday, as is typically the case in just about any game. You wonder first and foremost about injuries. And while it appears as if Alabama got through the game without a number of injuries of significance, the one that really put a damper on this win is to a player of significance, Charlie and Christopher Allen. And uh, sounds like Nick Saban on Monday sort of confirmed the worst fears for, for Chris Allen. Yeah. I mean, he didn't really sound very optimistic after the game uh, when he was talking to us, which first of all, uh, we had in-person interviews for the first time since before the pandemic, we, we did that at the stadium. So that was different. But yeah, I mean, he was optimistic about uh, everybody else, but you know, he, he said that Chris Allen might be lost for the year on Saturday. And uh, he said, that's most likely the case uh, now, you know, on Monday, he said he has a foot fracture that will require surgery. So, you know, tough blow uh, for Chris because he, you know, he, he played really well last year. Um, you know, he was poised to have another big year uh, this year, opposite Will Anderson, you know, making up what was arguably the best uh, pass rushing duo in the country. And now, you know, he's he's going to be watching from the sideline for a while. You know, we've seen guys you know, suffer these injuries in the opener and maybe come back later in the season, especially if Alabama's, you know, in the playoff picture. So maybe, you know, that could be the case. Um, you know, Nick Saban saying most likely out for the year, leaving that door open a little bit. But um, just kind of a, a freak injury because, you know, he walked off the field. Uh, I, a lot of people didn't catch him going into the tent. And then, you know, I noticed the tent was up and it had been up for a while. And then here comes a cart. And, you know, he comes out of the tent with a walking boot on his right foot. 
he hops on the cart and then, you know, he comes back, uh, I believe after halftime and he's, you know, in street clothes and walking around on crutches. So hate that for him. Again, this was a bit, would have been a big year for him in terms of just continuing to improve that draft stock and potentially be a, a first or second round pick. But Alabama's going to have to turn to some young guys now to, to make up that void. Yeah, you said it. You hate it for Christopher Allen. Came back with the intention of certainly improving his draft stock uh, based on the sack that he had. Uh, Derek King looked like he was very much on his way to doing just that. Both Alabama outside linebackers, especially where Miami right tackle DJ Scaife was concerned, <laughs> were sort of having their way over there. So, um, by all accounts, by all first impressions uh, of this season, it looked like Christopher Allen was certainly going to have one of those big years. And you said it, um, you know, next man up, we saw Drew Sanders uh, first off the bench and uh, saw some Chris Braswell mix in there. And then also uh, even Dallas Turner, the five-star freshman, I guess in terms of pecking order, not a big surprise, I, I would think, for you once Allen went out of the game. Yeah, that, that matches up with what we saw on the depth chart. And you know, Chris Allen's a tough guy to replace just because of what he was able to do last year. Like you said, he is a veteran guy, chose to come back, a uh, leader in that room. Uh, but I don't know if there's another place in the country that can lose a guy like Chris Allen and then you know replace him with a trio of five stars. But that's exactly what Alabama's going to do. And you know, Drew Sanders, the guy that played last year, he was really the number three outside linebacker. And and Nick Saban said this after the game. He said it today is how they've kind of rotated those three players, um, Anderson, Allen, and, and Sanders, kind of as starters uh, in the preseason. And, um, you know, we didn't really see Drew a ton before Allen's injury, but we definitely saw him a ton after. And then you sprinkle in some Brasswell and some Turner later in the game, too. But it's a big opportunity for Drew, um, you know, given you know what we heard from, from Nick Saban and a couple of Alabama players on Monday. You know, they have confidence in him. Um, you know, he's a hard worker, plays with toughness, all that stuff as you'd expect. But uh, he definitely has some big shoes to fill. But again, I mean, just from a personnel standpoint and the way that Alabama is recruited, it's in a position where they have guys that it would be just sitting and, and likely waiting their turn that are going to now have an opportunity with Allen out. Once we get into game week mode with Allen out, I get the sense that Alabama at that spot, probably going to be situational based. In other words, we saw Drew Sanders when he came on in place of Christopher Allen Saturday. We saw him in some everyday, every down, excuse me, situations. He was in there in some dime rabbit stuff. But then we also saw Chris Braswell. So would you be surprised if it becomes more situational with those couple of guys? And also, you know, the the depth at inside linebacker and, and how it can help. And having two guys like at the top, like Henry Toa Toa, who appears to have escaped what looked to initially be a potentially serious injury on Saturday. And also Christian Harris, the ability to play them together in some dime rabbits, which we saw after Allen went out. How do you how do you think that recipe is going to work uh, with with Christopher Allen on the sideline? They could go, um, you know, kind of with the you know, situational uh, approach. I think Drew Sanders is kind of that 
prototypical Sam linebacker. Um, but he's a guy that can drop in coverage. He's obviously an athlete coming from high school and playing a bunch of uh, positions in the offensive side of the ball. And Chris Braswell seems more like that pass rushing specialist. And that's just, you know, me. And you know, this is the this is the first time we've seen Chris Braswell in a game situation because he didn't play at all last year. So, um, you know, just judging of what we saw in the spring and kind of what he's uh, matured into, that's just personally how I would see it. I mean, I, I think an interesting thing, and this is just spitballing here on the podcast, you mentioned the inside linebackers. You could go with putting Christian Harris – maybe an outside linebacker and bring it on Jalen Moody for a four linebacker look yeah. because Moody's a guy that, you know, if you don't add Henry Toa to this roster, he's in the starting lineup on Saturday. But, um, you know, that's just, that's just shows the depth at linebacker and the way they feel about a lot of the players, whether outside or inside. But, uh, you're right about Henry Toa Toa. You know, he fell uh, on his elbow and was obviously in some, some pain there at Mercedes Benz Stadium. But you know, Nick Saban said after the game he's okay. And I believe we're actually supposed to hear from Henry for the first time tomorrow via Zoom. So uh, that should be a, an interesting interview. He and Jamison Williams are supposed to make their media debuts for, for Alabama. And that's, I know that's something a lot of people will be looking forward to hearing from them. Absolutely. That'll be some uh, must-listen, must-see must read uh, media opportunities coming up here in the very near futures. Now, what we love to talk about typically coming out of season openers is participation by freshmen, by newcomers in general, obviously Henry Toa Toa, Jamison Williams. We saw those guys in prominent roles on Saturday afternoon, but in terms of true freshmen, um, was there a surprise in terms of, who you saw uh, see the field as a true freshman on Saturday. And maybe was there a surprise in who you didn't see uh, against Miami from that perspective? Probably not a ton of surprise. Um, you know, we saw Jojo Earl as the fourth receiver in the game. So Alabama started with John Mechie and Jamison Williams and Slade Bolden. But then, you know, Earl was the the next guy up, really. Um, you know, they they played Treshawn Holden and Javon Baker were the ones as well. But Earl was the first guy off the bench in the first quarter, and um, you know, he caught a couple of passes. I think that's something we expected. We saw some of the other receivers later in the game, Jacory Brooks and Ajay Hall. Um, Ajay Hall caught a pass from Paul Tyson um, in the fourth quarter. You know, we saw some of the the younger linebackers. You know, fill roles on on special teams. Dallas Turner was out. Um, opening kickoff return, um, you know, Kendrick Blackshire, I think a lot of people expected him to be that, um, wedge uh, crusher on the kickoff coverage. And, and he's out there filling the role we've seen from guys like Ruben Foster and, uh, Mac Wilson, uh, Deontay Lawson was also in on special teams. Um, you know, I think an, an interesting thing was we saw JC Latham, uh, blocking on field goals and extra points. And, mm-hmm. um, he's a big body tackle, but, uh, yeah, he's a guy that's, kind of waiting to see how he develops to, to join that starting group. So I, I think that was interesting. Maybe the, the surprise for me um, was Jalen Milrow getting in the game just because we saw Paul Tyson come in late and um, he got about a series and a half, I believe. And then they let Jalen Milrow uh, in for, I believe the last three or four plays. And I, I think to an extent, the philosophy behind that is, you're, you're not going to want to run Bryce a ton on a lot of design runs, and maybe that's a role that Jalen Milrow could fill in the future, even though you're already tipping your hand as what you're going to do if that's the case. 
that's something clearly that Paul Tyson doesn't bring to the table. So maybe they're just you know trying to get him comfortable, get those reps, get him acclimated. But given how late we saw Tyson come in the game, I was a little bit surprised to see both quarterbacks. It wasn't a huge shot given what I just said, but um, overall, Alabama had you know, ten true freshmen in the game. Um, you know that was up from two in last year's season opener against uh, Missouri. Uh, and that includes a, a walk-on specialist with Neyland Hibbett handling the, the long snapping duties. So uh, a lot of first-year players, like you mentioned, with Williams and, and Henry Toa Toa, uh, you have both of the, the new punters from uh, Australia and Troy, respectively, and James Burnup and Jack Martin. But you know, true freshman-wise, um, we expected to see JoJo Earl. We did. The rest of the guys either played special teams and came in the game later or uh, a mixture of all of that. So uh, pretty good day for, for true freshmen and, and not so much of a good day for the people that like to say true freshmen don't play for Alabama. Yeah, you know, I think maybe a couple of guys that I wouldn't go as far as to say as it was a real surprise to not see them, but I certainly would not have been surprised to have seen them on the field against Miami. Terry and Arnold, um, but you got such depth in the secondary right now. Uh, that that you feel good about that area. And maybe Robbie Oots, you know, at the tight end position. I guess you could say, though, Kendall Randolph taking that number 85 jersey back on Saturday. Charlie uh, probably had something to do with that, too. Yeah, and that it's not a big surprise, even though we did see Kendall Randolph listed as the starter at right tackle on Alabama's depth chart. Now, I know Nick Saban doesn't really uh, take much with that depth chart, but you know, Kendall Randolph started the game at tight end. We saw Chris Owens at right tackle, Darian Dalcourt at center. Um, I think maybe that was one of the the combinations we might have expected going into it. That's what it turned out to be. And, um, you know, Cameron in the two was the, the first true tight end they used. Um, Major Tennyson got in next. And then Jalil Billingsley, of course, came in uh, third. I believe he got in with about four minutes to go in the, the second quarter. And now everybody saw the video of him and Nick Saban uh, talking on the sideline. Uh, but I, I think so too, just because tight end isn't a very deep position group for Alabama in terms of scholarship players. Uh, Caden Clark didn't uh, travel to the game. So they only have four scholarship tight ends available at the moment. Um, and, you know, I, I agree with Terry and Arnold. He's a guy that, um, you know, has worked some with the twos. I do agree with you though. The depth there is much deeper than what we're talking about at tight end. Um, maybe a guy like Christian Leary, um, at wide receiver, yeah. just because, you know, they, they can rotate some guys in there in the, in the second, in the second half. And, um, but that's, that's really maybe about it. Well, I guess, you know, given that they want to run the ball in the second half, Kamar Wheaton, but Kamar Wheaton didn't travel. He's a guy that's a little banged up right now. And I think when he is healthy though, you know, if, if he was healthy or if he is healthy, say come this weekend, I think we'll see plenty of number 25 in the second half against Mercer. The Mercer Bears visit Tuscaloosa this Saturday. Should be a warm one, too. Nice mid-afternoon kickoff. I think Mercer's getting somewhere in the neighborhood of 600 k to make the trip over from Macon, Georgia. So uh, what we're going to do next here on the podcast, though, is give you more of a state of the Crimson Tide heading into week two of the 2021 season. We'll go around the Crimson Tide, look at a position-by-position perspective of this football team with the Mercer Bears on tap. That and more with Charlie Potter, my colleague at BamaOnline.com when the Bama Online podcast returns right after this. 
back with more of the Bama Online podcast Monday night, September the 6th, 2021. Talking Crimson Tide football with my partner and coverage there at BOL, Charlie Potter. And Charlie, let's do it. Let's kind of take a position-by-position overview of this team after one week of football in the 2021 season. And let's start right there at quarterback. And we had talked about it through the offseason and into the preseason, maybe what expectations outside the program were of Bryce Young going into his first start compared to maybe the expectations that you and I had for how he might be utilized and uh, the fact that he might be asked to do more than just game manage and uh, you know make throws on a situational basis, stay away from uh, turnovers, those type of things. Uh, you know, if that was a sort of conservative approach to Bryce Young on Saturday, Charlie, I don't know if some upcoming upcoming opponents want to see him fully unleashed. No, you're right. I, mean, I don't know if anybody's going to place the, the game manager tag on him, which isn't necessarily an insult, but I do think some of the players take it as such. I mean, Mac Jones did last year. But yeah, I mean, it was it was obvious on his first pass attempt. I mean, it was a deep shot to Jamison Williams, and um, you know, talking to Bryce after the game or you're know, hearing from him in the post game, um, you know, he just talked about the trust that the coaches showed him, what that means to him, and his confidence. And so, uh, you know, he was ready to rip it, and he did. And uh, you know, that chemistry, I think it it's come along with guys like Jamison Williams, him coming in in the summer. Um, you know, that's a, a nice piece for him to have. And, you know, this is Bryce Young that completed 71% of his passes, you know, topped 340 yards, three for four touchdowns without a Jaleel Billingsley and an offensive line that's still what Nick Saban's called a work in progress. So uh, they're still kind of feeling themselves out. And they, they looked, you know, like they're not really skipping a beat. Now, you know, last year's offense was um, otherworldly at times, you know, it was record setting. Uh, but to see Bryce come out and, and be comfortable in the pocket uh, with that offensive line that he played well, but um, just in terms of pass pro, you could you know you could tell he was under duress at times. Uh, he moves well in the pocket. He evades rushers easily, um, and he's still able to extend plays and, and make those plays. Yeah, I, I think we knew he had the ability. We just hadn't seen it yet because you know, he didn't really get to do that a lot last season. You know, he, again, was in the black uh, no-contact jersey in the A-Day game and in the scrimmages Alabama had leading up to the season. But you know, we talked about him uh, having to go out and, and make plays early and often, and, and he did that. And uh, really impressive first outing. Um, you know, he's someone that uh, the, the passing yards and passing touchdowns were both program records for an Alabama quarterback in uh, their debut, so not too shabby there. And think he's only going to get more comfortable and and probably better just because he's going to continue to build that chemistry and rapport with those receivers the offensive line is going to be able to gel a little better up front and you're going to get some guys healthy uh you'll probably get a Jaleel Billingsley back you'll get Trey Sanders continue to get healthy and there's just gonna be more pieces around him yeah just the calmness with which he operated on some of the plays and not just the touchdown to John Mechie where he sort of steps up, evades some pressure and really stresses the defense once he does that because the linebacker level has to account for his legs while also considering the check down possibility that he had with Brian Robinson. But 
with the additional time, the vertical routes are taking DBs deeper into the field, and that just opens up that middle section that Mechie was working across. And then once Mechie makes the grab, he's able to do a lot of good things after the catch. But even on some snaps that were not necessarily perfect Mm -hmm. from Darian Dahlcourt, he handled them easily, maintained his poise, still got the football where it needed to go. Couldn't have been more impressed just even with the intangibles of uh, Bryce Young uh, against Miami, let alone what he showed you with the arm and the uh, feel for the game and the accuracy and all those things that you often associate with high-level quarterback play. I thought it was pretty much everything you could want to see from a quarterback. Alabama fans saw that from Bryce Young on Saturday. Running backs, we anticipated a by-committee approach throughout the off season into the preseason, and it played out that way. Obviously, Brian Robinson, the starter, uh, Jace McClellan, Roydell Williams, but it may be Trey Sanders uh, for a multitude of reasons. Uh, kind of a feel good story, Trey Sanders, but he was productive against Miami in his return to the field, and it left some folks wondering I think, is this guy's workload going to increase in the not too distant future? Yeah, I mean, it was it was good to see you know Trey back out there and for him to score a touchdown. You could tell what it meant to the team. Um, you know, Jeremy Giselle, who's the the head of, of rehab for Alabama, was actually the first person on the field to to give him a big bear hug. And I think that just illustrates what this guy's dealt with the last year or so, uh, following that accident that. Um, that led him to, to miss the 2020 season due to a hip injury. So that was really cool to see. Nick Saban's kind of touched on that a couple of times, whether on his radio show before the game or afterwards, just how much uh, that meant to everybody. But no, I mean, what we said going into it, uh, the, the by committee approach, you know, Brian Robinson first on the field, like we expected, but Jason McClellan got on the field pretty quickly. And uh, I think McClellan not, might be the most complete back that they have from a you know, running, receiving, blocking standpoint. Uh, you know, they know what they have in Brian Robinson. He's that bigger back that can get the tough yards, can be utilized in short yardage situations. But McClellan and Trey Sanders you know, give you that receiving uh, threat out of the backfield. And um, you know, Roydell Williams is someone put on the turf. That's kind of been a, a problem for him. And if Trey Sanders gets healthy, that might be another problem for him moving forward. But you can tell they have four really good backs that they they feel good about. And, and that's not including Kamar Wheaton, who had a good preseason. But again, he's been banged up. And I think if he's ready to go, we'll, we'll see some some flashes from him against Mercer as well. So um, it wasn't just a, a huge outing in terms of, of yards, but. You know, Trey Sanders and Brian Robinson averaged, you know, five or more yards a carry. Jace McClellan averaged four yards a carry. Uh, some of these guys contributed in the uh, receiving game, like Jace McClellan catching three passes. So I think all in all, it was a, a pretty good day. You want the fumble back. But, um, you know, for having to replace a guy like Najee Harris, you know, it looks like they've got the horses to do just that. Yeah, give Roydell credit. He saw his reps flash, you know, in front of him when he fumbled, he went and got it back. Yeah. Give him credit for that. And the review obviously, uh, helped, uh, overturn what was initially ruled a loss fumble by Roy Dell Williams. But yeah, ball security, as we all know, a big, big part of this thing. And, uh, for that position. And, you know, I think the continued 
exposure that opposing defenses get to what Bryce Young in this passing game is capable capable of doing is going to help this run game. Because you said it earlier, and I kind of thought this would be the case. We had some of these discussions on the roundtable in recent weeks. But given everything Alabama lost on the outside, uh, you might have to take some shots early in games because opposing defenses might not be as leery of putting extra guys up there or bringing pressure. And look, Manny Diaz dialed up the pressures on Saturday, Charlie. And, uh, and I think the manner in which Bryce Young answered that bell and the passing game in general, that could prove to be beneficial to the run game as far as helping to loosen some things up, even going into games. Uh, don't get me wrong. I still think there are defenses out there, Florida, and two Saturdays with Todd Grantham. He's going to bring pressure. Uh, and so Bryce going to have to do it all over again. But uh, the more that he does that, I think in time could really uh, be a, a benefit to the Alabama run game. Let's talk about the Alabama receivers. You know, and think about Bryce, too, on Saturday, Charlie. Didn't have a problem spreading the football around, did he? No, he didn't. You, know, you look at the, the box score and, and 10 different receivers caught a pass. In the game, one of those was Jai Hall from from Paul Tyson. So he spread the ball around to nine different players, and that was your receivers, tight ends, running backs. But um, you can tell, uh, you know, he feels comfortable with with Mechie and Jamison Williams, and even Cameron Latou, uh, the tight end. You know, I think now, uh, if you go back to the spring in the scrimmages Alabama had in the spring in the preseason, and now the season opener, uh, Cameron Latou's caught, I believe, seven touchdown passes. So he's been a guy that. Um, he's definitely you know, built that relationship with Bryce and, you know, he looks to him, uh, a lot. And then, you know, Mechie, you know, we knew he was going to be the number one guy. You know, he led the team in targets and receptions and, you know, had the first touchdown of the game. Um, you know, James Williams, the speed was no joke. Um, I believe it was Dr. Matt Ray tweeted out that, uh, he got up to 23 miles an hour on that 94 yard touchdown. And, yeah, it looked like he was going to get caught, but you know, that that backs up the the twenty four mile an hour uh, rating for him. So um, you know, those two guys, I think, are, are going to be big pieces of this offense. And then um, you know, Slade Bolden, someone he's a reliable target. Uh, he caught three passes in the game, um, and you know he's he's a guy that uh, I think Bryce feels comfortable with as well. You know, he's going to be challenged by JoJo Earl, who caught a couple passes. I think Treshawn Holden and and uh, Javon Baker, you did some nice things. Uh, I think Treshawn Holden probably wants that drop back. But uh, all in all, I think the receiver position for most offseason has been questioned because of what Alabama lost and the inexperience that is in the room. But you know them going out and adding um, Jamison Williams, the the development of guys like Mechie and Bolden and Holden and Baker, and then just the talent uh, that some of these young guys brought in, especially JoJo Earl. It looks like the, the receiving core is going to be in pretty good hands, pardon the pun, but I think these guys still have room to grow moving forward as well. Yeah, you know, when Miami brings a house blitz down in the red zone and, and you get two tight ends basically open like Alabama had with Cameron Latou and Major Tennyson on Latou's first touchdown, you sort of go, well, yeah, that's a nice job by the quarterback recognizing you know, kind of what's coming and uh, going to the place where the football needs to go. But I'll tell you what, Camla too on that second one showed me some yards after the catch ability, a little bit of a stiff arm. And I thought Treshawn Holden did a nice job blocking there uh, for Camla too. So 
uh, if if Jalil Billingsley needed any more motivation uh, going into the opener, maybe coming out of the opener, uh, Cam Latou could have provided some of that. And, and look, the tight end position in general, we talked about it here on the podcast in the last couple of weeks. It, it wasn't exactly getting the ringing endorsements that we had anticipated it getting going into the season opener. But we also sort of outlined a potential scenario where all – all's well that ends well. And I'd say for the most part, that was tied in on Saturday. I think so. Yeah. And, you know, Nick Saban kind of changed his tune a little bit. I believe it was on the SEC teleconference on Wednesday before the game. Had some good things to say about Cameron Latou. So that was good. Uh, and the fact that we saw Billingsley play at all, I think, is a sign of you know him coming along and coming around. And, uh, you know, if, if he's on the uh, on the field early in the next game and the Mercer game, maybe it's not as much of an indicator, but against Florida, um, I think, you know, it'll, it'll all work itself out and he'll be a big part of this offense, but you're right. I mean, seeing what Latou's doing, uh, on the field, whether it's now or throughout the entire off season, um, it has to be motivation for Billingsley because he was the number one tight end last year. He steps into this year expecting to be the same and to improve his stock. Uh, that was already, you know, kind of rising a little bit going into his third season and, your counterparts, the guy that's racking up all the catches and touchdowns, you're going to want to, you know, buy in and, and do the things that Nick Saban asks and get on the field and, and make those plays yourself. So, um, yeah, I mean, tight end, it's it's not a deep group. Uh, Major Tennyson is, is clearly a serviceable player as well. You're going to have Kendall Randolph looking like he's continuing to be that sixth offensive lineman. Uh, in, in today's practice video, he was still in that 85 of practice. Uh, so that's going to continue. It looks like, and um, I, I think you feel good with that group. Um, you know, again, it's just it's the consistency. It's the everything he's talked about this off season uh, about anxiety and commitment and all that. You want to see the, the the consistency from that group because Saturday showed you, um, you know, what it can be, and the uh, two can be a big part of this offense. And same goes for Billingsley. Offensive line play, uh, that was certainly an area of interest going into Saturday's opener. Uh, that's why we were glued to the pregame updates in terms of who was snapping the football to who and really how that first group was going to line up. And um, you know, I guess all things considered, shouldn't have been a huge surprise given that Chris Owens has played everywhere across the offensive line, including uh, even as recently as last season at right tackle. But uh, that's the exact way it played out. And uh, Darian Dahlcourt in a real big spot in his first start as a third-year player. Uh, uh, what were your initial thoughts when you saw that first five out there? Yeah, I know. I, I, I tweeted it out and put it on the board because uh, the way it, the way warm-ups kind of trickle out is – the, the first group out is the specialists, so it's just the kickers and the holders. Um, you know, that's, that's some of the quarterbacks. And then out come the center and, and some other people. And, um, you know, it was it was Darian Dalcourt first, snapping to Bryce Young, which wasn't all that surprising given, you know, the competition talk uh, leading up to the game. But then it was Seth McLaughlin and Paul Tyson and then uh, James Brockermeyer and, and Jalen Milrow. And then you had Chris Owens with, with Braxton Barker. And then some people kind of jumped to conclusions as most do and thought, well, what the hell's happened with Chris Owens? How has he you know, been demoted to the fourth team? But then, you know, the next wave of players is, um, is everybody. And then, you know, they will go through a couple stretches, do Bama Jacks and then go to their, 
position groups, and we saw the first team offensive line, and and that to me, seeing Darian Downcourt first, and then you know Chris Owens not really a factor as the backup, I, I knew where to expect him uh, with that first team, and that was at right tackle. I think that uh, it's it's not just a huge surprise. I think some people may have been. I caught off guard by it just because there was a, there's a plethora of ways they could have gone about it. And I think a lot of people expected Kendall Randolph to be uh, the starter at right tackle. Uh, but like you said, Chris Owens has the experience there. He has that position versatility. Uh, you know, he is a sixth year senior, so he knows what to do. And uh, he played well last year at Arkansas when he stepped in for, for Evan Neal. And I think he played you know, pretty well in this game as well. And then Darian Dalcourt, uh, he was named one of Alabama's players of the week. He didn't allow a sack or a pressure. And um, outside of a couple of the, the snaps that you alluded to earlier, uh, played a pretty solid game. So uh, it looks like that's the, the group they're going to be sticking with moving forward. Uh, I'll be interested to see if you know Randolph or maybe even J.C. Latham you know, challenges you know, Chris Owens at right tackle. But um, it's a pretty veteran group, and you know all things considered, and they did a, a pretty good job against Miami. Yeah, I think you said it all things considered. And even with, you know, a third year starter in Evan Neal, a first year starter at left tackle. So there's some newness to work through there. Uh, Chris Owens is a six year senior, but, you know, he's worked between positions, it seems like, throughout those six years. Emil Echior, I thought he was really good on Saturday as well. You kind of anticipated that with Emil going into his second year as a starter, but continuity does matter at some point. And it's not just the offensive line. I thought there were some times to early Bryce got some heat and it seemed like between the offensive line and maybe uh, the running back position, you know, they, they, they got caught by some things and look until they get some more of that cohesion teams like Florida coming up, they're going to throw a lot of different looks, different games, because communication, uh, identification by a young center, first-year starter at center, uh, they're going to challenge all those things. Let's see if this guy can sort of recognize some things and make some checks. And also the quarterback as well is an extension of that newness in that regard. So going to have to work through some things. And that's, again, where uh, Bryce Young's skill set really helps out because he can right some wrongs, even some of the wrongs he makes pre-snap. He's got the ability to overcome if he doesn't recognize things particularly well uh, in in some situations. So uh, to be continued, I think, with that offensive line. But uh, that's what makes even a game against Mercer uh, a value to that offensive line. It's it's more reps. It's more opportunities uh, to play together here in the in the next week or so before you make that road trip uh, to Florida. Hey, uh, Charlie, let's get over to the defensive side of the ball. The Alabama defensive line, another area where we anticipated waves of guys coming in uh, across that front. And I guess we're to the point, Charlie, would you say that don't get caught up in who starts, uh, especially at the defensive end position, because they obviously have multiple guys that, from snap to snap can be on the field. Yeah. I mean, you know, we, we talked about that going into the season opener, you know, throughout the preseason, just um, the depth there and the rotation that Alabama can utilize as many as nine players. And, you know, that we saw a lot of 
a lot of guys get some run. You know, we expected to see a Boyd B and Byron Young and Phil Mathis and DJ Dale. And uh, I thought, you know, Mathis, much like he was last season, he was very consistent. He was disruptive. And you know, that was the case, obviously, with him, um, you know, getting a, a sack and then recovering the fumble that, that Chris Allen forced. So uh, big game for, for Big Phil. Um, you know, we saw some other guys. We saw Stephon Wynn get in the game a little earlier uh, than maybe we anticipated. You know, Tim Smith was in the game in the second half, some Jamil Burroughs siding. Um, so they used a lot of guys in you know, it, it's worth noting too. I mean, Alabama was uh, found itself using its nickel and dime uh, packages a lot, which that's not uncommon. But like we talked about with the linebackers, you know, they uh, they like to keep them on the field because of their ability and and what they bring to the table. So we saw just a lot of uh, looks where Alabama just had two defensive linemen in the game, and so um, you know that limits maybe some of the guys that we see, and as much as maybe people expected to see them. Uh, so I wouldn't fret over that just yet. And so, uh, I, I think overall, uh, the group played pretty sound. I mean, you look at what Miami was able to do from just a, a run standpoint, they had 87 yards, uh, and Alabama was able to, to get you know, consistent pressure from the edge and a little bit up the middle too, especially with Mathis. So, uh, they really flexed the, the depth there. And I think that's going to be big too. Uh, those guys have experience, um, you know, communication might've been a, an issue last year. You know, it's less of one now because of the game experience those guys got. And uh, I think that that kind of showed in this game. Yeah, you know, I, I wanted to ask you if maybe from a rotational perspective, the pecking order, uh, what maybe caught you by surprise, if anything. I, I think we're sort of in agreement on that um, at some spots. And also you have to consider yeah, with, with Ray and the potential for him to be back in the near future. Uh Things only look better, and I think you can also tie that into the loss of Christopher Allen at outside linebacker because on Saturday what we saw from Alabama before Allen went out was even in some early down situations in the nickel, Christopher Allen was still out there with Will Anderson. You know, mm-hmm. and a lot of times in the nickel on early downs you'll you'll have three defensive linemen and, and a jack. Uh, to go along with your two inside linebackers because you're going to be a little heavier maybe against the run. Uh, you get LeBron Ray back, you might be able to use him more as a true defensive end in the nickel to go along with Will Anderson to give you some of that, uh, you know, that, that you had used in previous years uh, with, with that extra defensive end. So, um, you know, that could be one silver lining in all this is if you do get LeBron Ray back and more importantly, he's able to sustain health for an extended stretch. No, that, that's a good point. And, you know, I, I don't know if this week is the week. Um, you know, Nick Saban doesn't want to hear this, but you can afford to continue to let guys, you know, get healed up and, um, you know, get back. I mean, it's it's an FCS opponent, you know. I, I think that the Florida game is, is much more uh, realistic. Uh, look for some of these guys that are banged up a little bit, and, and that includes LeBron Ray, even though he was a game-time decision for, for this. And, uh, he, if he's healthy, um, that will be big because of the loss of Allen, like you said. Um, I, I do think, you know, the, the questions you asked a little earlier, just the, the rotational aspect, I was a little bit surprised maybe not to see more of Tim Smith, given the mm-hmm. way that, uh, he played last year as a true freshman. Um, again, though, you know, some of these guys are banged up. Um, you know, some of these guys, it could have been, you know, situational, you know, facing a, a team like Mercer next week that's going to, 
run some wishbone and some wing tea, you'll probably see some of these. Uh, ten horn. Before. Ten horn alert. <laughs> yeah. Are you already so, on ten horn alert hearing that about that Mercer offense? Oh. I think though this defense, even with losing uh, Chris <laughs> Allen, uh, is a little better equipped. Think they'll hold up a little better than the 2011 group did against Georgia Southern. Yeah, a little bit. These, these defenses are a little different, but you know, <laughs> looking forward to when they can get LeBron Ray back, that can be you know big for making up for the loss of Allen. And you know, I think we'll see some of these guys, you know, in in future games because you know, they're going to see some things that are a little different than Miami presented. Yeah, uh, it will be different this Saturday, no doubt about that. Um, we've touched on outside linebacker a good bit already on the podcast tonight because of the injury to Christopher Allen, but maybe get a little bit more into the inside linebacker position and how that depth played out in front of us and kind of the less than ideal situation that once again, reaffirmed the ideal situation that Alabama has from a depth perspective with Toa Toa going out. Here comes Jalen Moody, and he produces one of the three takeaways for Alabama in the game. Yeah, it's it's an embarrassment of riches. And I thought Henry Toa Toa played well. Yeah, he finished second on the team in, in tackles with seven behind uh, Will Anderson. And uh, Eck, even on the play, he got hurt. Yeah, he was <laughs> laying the wood. And uh I think he's just a, he's just a, an addition that makes his defense better, and it was already a really good defense. And Christian Harris is a guy that that played well. He had a couple of tackles for loss to lead the team, and uh, I, I think it says a lot too about Jalen Moody and his preparation that you know he steps in and, and makes a play like that. And uh, you know we saw several of the young linebackers. We saw um, you know Deontay Lawson come in really as the fourth guy there, but we saw. Kendrick Blackshire gets some run too. So, um, yeah, it, the, the depth there is really good, but the top two guys, um, yeah, it's a shame that Chris Allen, uh, is going to miss likely the rest of the season because Alabama's linebacking core from the, from a top four perspective is just, it's unfair. Uh, it's still really good. I think Drew Sanders can step in and, and play and fill in nicely at a Sam linebacker, but, um, you know the the inside guys having Toa Toa and and Chris uh, Christian Harris and their ability to to affect the passer because we saw them uh, do that as well. Uh, I think that's going to be a, a real benefit for Alabama moving forward. Yeah, it is kind of crazy to 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 imagine the depth right now at, at inside linebacker, and um, you had to be happy. You weren't obviously happy at all for Henry Toa Toa. Never want to see anyone get injured, but. Um, you know, nice to see Jalen Moody rewarded um, for his stick to And again, just reaffirming this guy is a high level power five starting inside linebacker, a starter at just about every other power five program in the country in college football right now. It's just that right now he's behind two potential first round picks and Christian Harris and Henry Toa Toa. What about the secondary? That was also an interesting sort of nuanced situation going into the opener because of the injury to DeMarco Ellums and how things could potentially play out at safety and got a little bit of a swerve there in the pregame. Although when you consider the, the candidates and, and the players involved, the skill set's pretty similar in some ways. So uh, interchangeable, I guess you could say with a couple of these guys and, and how they're used and how they were used uh, from the outset of Saturday's game. 
Yeah, it, it was a, a little bit of a surprise, and I think it goes back to the the versatility of what, a lot of these players. Um, you know, we've talked about Brian Branch and the fact that he in the preseason played uh, every position in the defensive backfield, and you know, he lined up at um, a star. So you had Malachi Moore at safety opposite of, of Jordan Battle. The, the corners stayed the same, and uh, I thought that group um, that's a formidable group uh, to be honest. And I thought they played pretty well uh you know daniel wright was the sixth defensive back and came in and, and played some money um but yeah they had a, a couple of uh pass interference plays uh, or penalties one of them was a little questionable some others you know not so much um but uh you know nick saban uh i asked him about the secondary today and kind of specifically about brian branch because we we heard from brian branch um during player interviews but he said he thought they played okay, and of course, you know he's going to be the the toughest critic. But um, you know, facing a, a quarterback and Derek King, um, you know, he was very accurate with the ball. Uh, Alabama was able to pressure him, you know, throughout the afternoon. But the guy was still twenty three of thirty. You know, he didn't light it up from a yardage and touchdown standpoint. They were able to get some takeaways, but um, he was still able to complete some passes. I, I do think, though, if there's um, yeah, if, if you ask what was the the most impressive or the biggest takeaway, I thought Jalen Armour Davis played well, and you know we we talked about it throughout this entire podcast, really specifically about the the offensive line. But you know he is one of those veteran players that you found himself in competition with some younger, maybe higher rated players, you know, coming out of high school. But he held firm in that position and played well, and, and earned himself a, a player of the week nod from Alabama's coaching staff. So. You know, as another player that's dealt with injuries in his past, that was pretty good to see. It really was, you know, and I, I thought, uh, you know, Alabama, obviously with the expectations for the pass rush, it's easy to sort of downplay uh, even the importance of some of these guys on the back end. But you saw some situations with Jalen Armour Davis even early in the game that obviously Miami wanted to try him a little bit and, of the guys that we saw on a down-by-down basis in the game, for the most part, well, three and a half quarters or so on Saturday, uh, Jalen Armour Davis was just solid throughout the game and played extremely, extremely well. Hey, let's talk about the special teams. Uh, James Burnett, the Australian punter, makes his debut. Um, you know, we talked about uh, Neelan Hibbett, the freshman snapper, probably not enough in terms of the shoes he was looking to feel fill with Thomas Fletcher moving on to the national football league. I'd say all things positive coming back from that performance prohibit perfect on his PATs field goals and also the two punts that Burnup had in the game. But once again, if you want to talk about a star and I got to do top 12 titers coming up here in the next day or so for BamaOnline.com, Tell me why at this point, Will Riker, <laughs> Shouldn't be in my top 12 titers, Charlie Potter. Uh, debate me on that. Why can't, why shouldn't Will Reichard be a top 12 titer right now? I don't really have a, a strong argument. <laughs> against it. Uh, you know, the, I think a lot of people were a little um, nervous from the 8A game. And, uh, yeah. uh, it's you know, it's it was out of the ordinary. They're so used to the guy making kicks uh, and every one of them. And I, I think it, it says a lot about him and, you know, his preparation and, and everything, his routine, that all three of his kicks were from, you know, 35 plus yards away and one being 51 yards. And he nailed them. Uh, he's perfect on his extra points. Uh, all seven of his kickoffs were touchbacks. So 
hell of a day for Will Riker. I know I, I do game balls and you know, I wrote him down kind of first so I didn't forget special teams. And then uh, he was also recognized by Alabama's coaching staff earlier today as a, as a player of the week. So um, you know, Will Riker just continues to be perfect. And uh, I, I think you know, Alabama fans are, are now even more spoiled than they were before because of the, the kicking situation. Uh, I, I think that you know, from James Burnup, the, the punter, um, yeah, it, it was a, it was an okay day. Um, it, it's also really his, his first opportunity to, to kick in a situation like that or to punt in a situation like that. And, um, you know, the first one I think was 36 yards and went out of bounds at the 20. And, um, you know, the next one wasn't quite as far. Uh, I, I think they want some more production out of him. I think they've liked what they've seen from him just in what he's been able to do at practice in some scrimmage situations. So, you know, maybe he gets those jitters out of the way and, and calms down a little bit. But all in all, um, you know, from a special teams aspect, uh, I, I think it was a, a pretty solid outing for Alabama. Probably a few too many penalties for Drew Svoboda's liking. But again, you're talking about a first game scenario and you had a lot of new faces on those coverage return units. Jack Martin subbed in there for Will Reichard on kickoffs. He had a kickoff go out of bounds. So some of it a little bit understandable, but obviously an area where you want to clean up going into week two. And I think even the secondary, you can say some of that. Although if we just wanted to get into an officiating discussion, uh, Nick Saban, I thought on Monday, stopped short of maybe questioning a couple of calls that went against his secondary uh, on Saturday against Miami. So, you know, there's some of that in play as well. What about the return game? Uh, we saw Slade Bolden back deep on punts. We saw, uh, you know, a variety of guys that seemed like on kickoff returns. Jalil Billingsley, once he entered the game, we did see him back deep on kickoff return. Uh, what are we sort of anticipating there? Because JoJo Earl's presence obviously looms as a potential punt return guy. Um, you know, maybe what they settle on on the kickoff return in time. Uh, where are you leaning right now with that, Charlie? Yeah, Billingsley returned kicks in the or one kick in in the second half, and we saw uh, Jamison Williams and and Jace McClellan back deep on the the opening kickoff. And I think that's probably the two they'll lean on early in games. Um, I think it's a situation where. Jamison Williams is running all over the field, and you just you know plug in another guy back there. I was a little uh, surprised that we didn't see JoJo Earl on punt returns because it sounds like he's been a guy that Nick Saban's you know mentioned uh, a couple of times now. Just in, in regards of that, of course he's he's mentioned him at wide receiver, but his ability to to be a factor in the return game and and that could be something he does you know in the future. Uh, again, you know talking about Slade Bolden and what he brings to the table from a receiving standpoint, he's reliable. And, um, you know, it's a, he had 20 yards on, on three punt returns. It's a seven yard average with a long of 10. It's nothing to write home about, but you know, he secures the football and, and, you know, that's the, the field position battle. You, you get the ball and you get as many yards as you can and you don't give it back. So, um, I think they feel good about that and, um, it'll be interesting to see if anything changes moving forward, but, um, you know, some, some to be expected and maybe some surprises, but, you know, they took care of the ball. I think that's the most important. This could be a week, right, with Mercer coming to town where you see even more of those guys like a JoJo Earl uh, on punt returns uh, and, and do some different things maybe uh, in the return game and really across the board. Right? We talked about earlier in relation to the 
10 freshmen, two true freshmen who saw the field against Miami, I think there's probably what another four, five, six, seven that, that could see the field in a game like this one with a FCS opponent. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, Christian Leary at receiver, like you said, Robbie Oots, uh, if he's healthy, Kamar Wheaton. Uh, you look at the offensive linemen, maybe some more of those, um, you know, linebackers, maybe a defensive lineman or two. Yeah, I, I imagine that next week it'll be it'll be in the double digits, but it'll be more than 10 against Mercer for sure. The Mercer Bears come to town on a winning vibe after whitewashing. I had never heard of Point University uh, until I looked at the Mercer football schedule, but it was Point, I believe, yeah, that Mercer beat 69 to nothing uh, in the season opener. So uh, there you go. That was last Thursday night, Mercer at home. Uh, Nice check for the Bears coming up this week in Tuscaloosa, but uh, uh, it'll probably be a week where Nick Saban, Charlie, is reminding us that you have to be respectful of each and every opportunity, not even so much the opponent, but just the opportunity to compete and play this game. And um, it's, it's a good morale game, too, because you've gone through the grind of the preseason the reality hits some of these young guys, especially that look, you know, it's no longer the, 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 the glitz and glamor of being a four or five star recruit. Maybe you didn't see the field against Miami in the opener, but as we just talked about, uh, adds a little pep in the step, maybe of some, some young guys that have hit that initial wall and, uh, the, the promise at least of, of maybe seeing some game action, uh, in week two. No, it's definitely a, a motivator for them, and they they need the motivation because this is a sandwich game because you had the, the big opener that you've been planning for all offseason long. Now you have, you know, a couple weeks from now, a trip to Gainesville against a Florida team that's going to be a, a challenging opponent. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, for the young guys, I think that's important, the, the being able to look forward to, to playing time. And, you know, you, you hate to say that, but – you know, Nick Saban didn't call Mercer a, a good little team like he does to some of these FCS opponents, <laughs> but you know, he said things like these guys have good players relative to their level. So, you know, he's all about respecting the opponent, but some of these backhanded compliments, um, you know, you, you kind of raise your eyebrows to a little bit. But, you know, the, the fact that they do you know, run some things that Alabama doesn't typically see out of its normal opponents, things like the wishbone and the wing tee, you know, that presents challenges. So it's going to be important for the players to to pay attention to that during uh, practice this week. And um, again, like you said, uh, I think some of those uh, younger guys will, you know, have the, the lure of playing time from the weekend to, to get them through the week. You know, I'm sure schematically Florida is different, but if Florida is as run heavy going from Kyle Trask to Emory Jones, probably some triple option principles as far as responsibilities go anyway, formationally, some of those things, Charlie, maybe not uh, similar to each other at, at all, but you know, maybe some, maybe at the end of the day, there will be some, some translation and going uh, from Mercer and that type of offense to, you know, what you expect to see from this Florida offense anyway, uh, an identity shift. I think it's going to be safe to say from that, that unit of a year ago to, to what Dan Mullen's going to put out there uh, one week from Saturday in Gainesville. Plenty of time to get to that, though. As always, Charlie, we appreciate the time. Always great coverage for us there 
at Bama Online. If you enjoy the podcast, by the way, how about a subscription to the Bama Online podcast anywhere you consume podcasts? That's where you're going to find us. If you leave us a rating and a review, we would appreciate that as well. Charlie, thanks again. We'll talk to you again real soon. All right, man. It's always good to catch up. For Charlie Potter, Travis Ryer, thanking you for joining us right here on the Bama Online Podcast. So long, everybody.